0: Next time they'll stand on the tracks when the train's coming through. Knister's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Samstam. Somebody better help Samstam. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh, my. Did Mick plant one on c Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning. Who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob right there. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lizito. So welcome to episode number 52, actual episode 69. Nice. Um, Episode 52, we're going to do a Seasons in Review episode, and today I'm going to discuss Steve Webb's rookie season of 1996-97. Uh, Steve Webb, you're an Islander fan. You love him. It's a folk hero, um, inspirational, really, in my opinion. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. Um, just want to let you guys in on the. Well, it's not a secret. Just let you know. Uh, I'm going to change things up a little bit uh, lately. Uh, with uh, well, let me start over. So when I do the interviews with the players. Uh, I really take pride in the research that I do. I don't want to uh, half-ass anything. And to be honest with you, especially if a player that I'm interviewing has done an interview somewhere else, maybe on a bigger show, um, it's my goal to kind of not one-up that interview. I want to say 10-up the interview. I want to make the interview that I do with the player, the best interview that player has ever done. I want to make it the most complete interview that player has ever done. And I want all other interviews that that player ever does to pale in comparison. And I mean, I think anyone that does interviews should probably strive for that also. Why wouldn't you want to do the best possible interview? So in order for me to accomplish that, I, as I've said a million times, uh, Darren from fourth line voice has said it about me and I've said it about him. Um, I put a lot of effort into this and, you know, maybe it doesn't appear that way. And and maybe that's a compliment because, um, I think everything kind of flows in the interviews, but the reason why I ask the questions that I ask and I get the answers that I get is because I do a ton of research. So depending on the amount of, uh, years a player played, I mean, I could do, 10 hours of video research when it's all said and done. And then you're researching different articles and things like that. And when you do all that, and then there's a hiccup in the interview in the process before, you know, getting to the actual interview uh, it's sort of deflating and I'm not going to lie. It's I don't want to say it's depressing. It's not that serious, but it definitely takes a little bit of the starch out of it. And There's been a few instances lately where I've done research for interviews and uh, a couple of the guys have asked me to reschedule, which I completely understand. I am. uh, This isn't about them. Uh, It's I get it. I appreciate the time that they give me. And and I understand that the time commitment involved in an interview that I do is way longer than most interviews they do. So a couple of guys have asked me to reschedule and I get it and I understand that and I can't wait. And when we do those interviews. I I plan on hitting it out of the park and then uh, I had another interview I was going to do and um, I can't I only know how to use Skype I, I know people are using Zoom and uh, they use other ways to record I only know how to use Skype you know back in the day when I was thinking about doing this Uh, my man, Joe Rizzo and Jay up in Canada, who likes basketball more than hockey. I don't get it. Uh, we had a three-way phone call, three-way Skype call, and they helped me out. They, they, uh, taught me the way how they do their shows and, uh, really helped me. And I'm comfortable with that. Uh, the problem is I don't know how to use any other, uh, form of communication to do the show. And one interview I was supposed to do, um, the, uh, the player couldn't get, Skype on his phone or his computer um, had difficult time with it. It wasn't working out and he tried and it didn't work out. And he had other ways. I didn't know how to use those other ways. So then that interview is probably not going to happen. So after you, after a couple of those happen where you put in the research and you put in the time and then either it's not going to happen or it's delayed like I said, it kind of takes a little bit of the spirit out of it, a little bit of the starch out of it. And again, it's nobody's fault. It's not like I did the research and then the guy said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not going to do it. So it's not anything negative against anyone. And like I said, in the third case, it's probably more, Oh, it is, it's more my fault than anything because I don't have an alternate way to record. So that one's on me, but because I do all this research and then when it doesn't happen, it, it Like I said, it's a bit deflating. So what I'm going to do from now on and, you know, hopefully, well, if you like it, you're going to listen. If you don't like it, you're not going to listen. Uh, I'm going to do two, depending on how many weeks are in the month. Let's just say it's a typical month where you have four weeks. Uh, Two of the weeks are going to be interviews and two of the weeks are going to be solo episodes for now. Um, so in other words, you're going to have, uh, let's just say this week I'm doing a seasons in review episode. So next week I'll have an interview. The week after that could be another seasons episode, uh, could be the top 10 Islander all time enforcers, whatever it ends up being. But, you know, there were a couple of weeks ago where I was. I was in my glory because I released an interview. I had two episodes in the chamber ready to go. And I was like, Hey, I got all this time. And then next thing you know, it's like, Oh shit, I don't have an interview lined up. Or like I said, I had an issue with the Skype and all of a sudden now I have nothing. So I feel like the best way to maximize my interviews is to kind of separate them every other week. This way it spaces out. Now, if there's a case where, uh, an interview takes multiple episodes. Those I will probably do back-to-back, uh, and we'll see how that goes. But for the foreseeable future, I'm going to alternate the interviews and uh, hopefully give you uh, content every other week, a solo content that you'll find enjoyable. Now, I am planning on doing a different kind of interview shortly. It just so happens that the few people I've reached out to um, – that have said they would do it again, I'm having problems with Skype. So uh, I don't really want to get into that too much because I think it's a pretty cool idea. Uh, and hopefully you do too when I eventually figure it out. But uh, in that case, then that would also alternate and I would use those instead of solo episodes. So um, not letting the cat out of the bag. Don't ask me uh, because I think when the time comes, it'll be pretty cool. and. I haven't asked anyone in a bit, and something came to me the other day, and uh, I think this week I'm going to shoot for the stars. I'm going to try to get someone who is probably unattainable, but if I don't ask, they can't say no or yes. So it might be a pretty cool thing for the first uh, first episode of this sort of uh, branch, let's say for the show. So I'll keep you posted. Uh, but like I said, you know, you can expect an interview and a solo episode in alternating weeks. So hopefully you enjoy the solo content as well, but uh, I just wanted to let you know that. So if you, uh, if you're listening to this, if you wouldn't mind, please hit that subscribe button and uh, please like rate and review the show. If you have a minute, doesn't have to be anything of uh, extreme length. That's not what she said. But uh, anything helps. It helps promote the show. And, and like I said, if you subscribe to the show, you get the content immediately. Once I upload it, it appears right in your inbox for iTunes or Spotify, whatever it is. You refresh the page, it shows right up. So uh, if you could subscribe, like, rate, and review the show, that would be awesome. If you are on social media, I am most active on Twitter, my Twitter account for my personal account. That sounded pretty stupid. My personal Twitter account is at Joe underscore Lozito and the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Sinbin pod Facebook. Uh, I have two pages. My my personal Facebook doesn't get much use, but the Facebook uh, page for the show, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast, Instagram Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So. If you like the content of the show, you're going to like the show's social media pages because it has everything to do with Islander enforcers, um, minor league enforcers, guys they drafted, uh, coaches, things like that. It's all Islander-related content. So if you enjoy the show, you'll probably enjoy the social media. And as I always say, if you follow me, I will follow you back. If you like my page, I'll like your page back. Let's help each other out. There's a lot. There's enough out there for everyone to be happy and successful and to promote each other. So uh, so if you help me, I'll help you, and let's make it uh, great for everybody. Now, I do have Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise. Now, what you can do if you're interested in seeing it and hopefully eventually ordering it, scroll down a little bit and you'll see two links in the episode description. One is for the original logo and one is for the alternate logo. Um, I think because I picked the same sort of selection for both logos. It wouldn't let me merge it onto one page. So it's two pages, two different logos, same sort of merchandise. Uh, and the listener exclusive discount for this week is web 20 W E B B two zero. So get on those pages Fill up your carts and at checkout use code web 20 and you will get 20% off everything in that cart. It's getting warm out now. Get some t-shirts, get some tank tops. Uh, You need uh, tote bags for your ladies to carry their stuff to the pool and to the beach. Um, Everything's there. Get your kids some t-shirts, lots of stuff, lots of great stuff. And, you know, check it out. And like I said, use code web 20 good for one week for 20% off. When you go to those pages, the logo, the original logo, and the alternate logo were done by local Long Island stud artist Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. Joe is amazing. And if you want to reach out to Joe, if you're on Twitter, go to at Graphics Joker. Or if you want to use the traditional website way and send an email, loudegg.com. I love my logo. I love Joe for doing the logo for me. And please. You know support a local Long Island artist, definitely hit him up for all your art project needs. A few other podcasts you might be interested in if you like this podcast. The original gangsta of the enforcer genre Darren in saskatoon fourth line voice uh Darren is moving into a compound as of right now. I don't think he sold his condo, but uh He's got his compound. He's going to have new fourth line voice headquarters. Uh, thank you, Darren, for the care package you sent. Uh, Darren sent me some goodies from Canada, uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders t-shirt. Hopefully the CFL plays again at some point. Uh, sent me some little trinkets from uh, from Canada, a couple of Islander things, a little little Lizito, as he so coined him. Uh, when he sent me the pictures, I thought he was bigger than he is. He is tiny. So of course, when I showed Mrs. Lizito, she was a big fan and the little Lizito figure now resides on my wife's desk. I know she'll take good care of him. And he sent me a bag of ketchup chips, which I think are fantastic. And you can't get down here. So, uh, Darren, thank you again. That was very nice of you. And, um, yeah. Oh, so what was I doing? I was talking about his podcast. So Darren is on the Hockey Podcast Network, and and I want to say, uh, and I don't know if he listens to my show, but uh, one of the guys at the network, a guy named Isha, uh, is very good to me. I am not on their network, yet Isha will constantly retweet my shows. Um, I, was, I did um, an episode of The Soda Pod uh, with Isha. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the other guy's name. I suck. I I really apologize. But Isha's been very good to me uh, in terms of uh, getting my show out there. He has a following because he runs the network. And I just want to say thank you, Isha. Very cool guy. Very cool of you to do that. Uh, Darren is on the Hockey Podcast Network. Two episodes a week. Um, Terry Ryan's also on the network. Definitely give his show a listen. Tales with TR. Buy his books. Excellent books. Uh, Darren... Does uh, a shit show Sunday episode, which is out now. Uh, I have not listened to it yet. Today is monday uh, I haven't listened to it yet i 'll listen to it probably later today or tomorrow uh and on Wednesday he does uh, original episodes with interviews, mostly it's players uh but sometimes it's fight fans uh or someone involved in the hobby and uh, this week he did an interview with uh, a man named Trent Bueller. You may have seen me retweet some of Trent's stuff. Trent is the guy that took a table hockey game and made it into Boston Garden. And the stuff is unbelievable. It, It really is. It's sick. At Trent Bueller is his name on Twitter. I urge you to go and look at what this guy has done. And it's pretty cool because, you know, you always say, well, if I win the lottery, I'm going to do this. If I win the lottery, I'm going to do that. It's great to know that if I ever win the lottery, my first phone call is going to be to Trent for him to make me a replica of the Nassau Coliseum the way he did for Boston Garden. I can't wait. Obviously, winning the lottery will be good for many reasons. But this this is an amazing thing what he's done with Boston Garden. Uh he's done the Bruins, he's uh against Montreal, Bruins against Philly. Uh he has fight scenes, he has Don Cherries in the game. Uh so it's um it's phenomenal. So it was a great interview that Darren did with Trent. Definitely check out Trent on Twitter. Uh definitely check out Darren on Twitter. So like I said, Darren did a shit show Sunday. And that's out now. The interview with Trent is out now. Uh, definitely check it out. Check out his back catalog. Darren is very good to me. Always has nice things to say. And he um, does a, a great job at helping grow my show. And I'd like to do the same for him. Uh, also, he has a YouTube channel. Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. If you have ever watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Definitely check it out. Uh, it breaks it down by team, by player, by league. Chances are, if you're looking for a fight of somebody, it's on that channel. So give it a a watch. Give his show a listen. And Darren, thanks again for the package. I really don't see that hashtag. Give her the Lizito really getting much steam. But, yo, go for it. Let's see what happens. Uh, Another show is the Bucket Drop Podcast with my friend Bobby Longrass, who last episode did say that was probably going to be the last episode of the season. I knew it was bullshit because I knew he would at least do one more. And especially after Montreal beat Toronto in Game 6, I knew he was going to have another episode. And now they play Game 7 tonight. Hopefully Montreal wins again. And then I'm sure he will continue for the rest of the season. As long as Montreal's in it, I'm sure he's not done yet. Should Montreal lose tonight? Then all bets are off. Uh, Maybe he won't do another show. But Bobby's show uh, focuses on his team – which is Montreal. Uh, The teams in Ontario, Toronto and Ottawa. Uh, He talks a lot about MMA and about combat sports and betting. So his shows are unlike Darren and I and my show uh, where Darren and I do these marathon episodes. Bobby does maybe 10, 15, 20 minute shows. You can put them on while you're running errands, running to the market. And um, it's good stuff. Bobby used to do interviews. I wish he would do them again, but it's probably not in the cards. He's got a baby to take care of. So um but check out his back catalog. He had some good stuff on there too, but definitely give give his show a listen. Uh one more thing I want to point out. You see me tweet about it every day. Uh my buddy Steve has a GoFundMe to try to bring back the Drop Your Gloves uh website. Not not that website, a Drop Your Gloves style website, a bigger, better, better version of Drop Your Gloves. Uh basically a fight card database with video. Um just everything that a fight fan could need if you were ever on the drop your gloves website you know what it was about had the fight cards had team cards had player cards had league cards you click on videos uh you know anyone listening to this probably used it players used it as a tool to scout other players and then one day the guy who owned it just said fuck it shuts it down doesn't look to get anyone to buy it doesn't look to get anyone to maintain it He's apparently very difficult to deal with, has no interest, so I don't fucking know. But Steve is trying to build a, a better version of it, and Steve is the Hockey Fight Rain Man, so I know it's going to be perfect. He went to some web designers, gave him an estimate of about $10,000. As of right now, he's a few dollars shy of $5,000. Uh, so if you have, if you can donate anything, just check out my Twitter feed. I I tweet about it every day uh I know it difficult times i've said it a million times over this last year i've been out of work since May of twenty twenty I get how times are tough, but if you can at least donate a dollar or five dollars, that would be great. Everything goes a long way. And at the very least, if you can't donate anything, retweet my tweet. Get get the word out there because there may be some people out there that you follow and follow you that don't know who I am and see it and have enjoyed the site in the past, and they say, "Hey, I got an extra five bucks. I got an extra ten bucks. Let me chuck it their way." But it picked up some steam for a while. It's kind of tailed off a little bit almost halfway there so please if you can donate please donate if not please uh retweet my tweet and get the word out i appreciate it so i just want to talk about a few other things before we get to uh steve webb and his 1996-97 season um so i discussed the new format i want to talk about uh a couple of non hockey related things uh a friend of mine manages the cubs single a team in south bend and uh they had a brawl recently and um some fans were pretty pumped most fans were pretty pumped but some fans as you know in 2021 it's it's now you have to apologize for everything uh, I think if you burp in church and hold it in and nobody really hears it, you still have to issue an apology because someone may have heard it and has been offended. But So the team is the South Bend Cubs, and uh, South Bend Cubs the day after issued a statement regarding the brawl, and it said, the South Bend Cubs do not condone the actions that occurred during the late innings of Tuesday night's game. The organization strives to create a family-friendly friend- atmosphere and pride themselves on making four wins field affordable entertainment what happened last night was between two competitive teams and competitive players however those actions were unacceptable the south bend cubs and fort wayne tin caps are working together to ensure this incident does not happen again and reestablish positive sportsmanship between both teams so a professional organization put this statement out this is something you'd never hear ever if you go back a couple of years. So I commented on it, and this is what I wrote. It said what society has become, that it seems every day somebody is putting out a statement of apology. Baseball has become so robotic with all the analytics that now teams are apologizing for passion. This is nothing against the Cubs, as I understand the family atmosphere minor league sports need to provide. But let's not forget, these are grown men playing competitive sports and sometimes tempers flare. As far as sportsmanship, some of the finest displays of sportsmanship have been hockey teams shaking hands after playoff series where they tried to annihilate each other for seven games. Maybe it's just me, but I appreciate the passion and fire. You'd be surprised how close a group of players can get after something like this. Then, of course, someone from the woke mob has to answer me. A person, because I don't want to assume anything, named Robert Lyons says yes it's said that people recognize they behaved badly and take responsibility for their actions what is this world coming to so this person is saying that the cubs acknowledge that grown men behaved badly not eight-year-olds not four-year-olds grown men grown men behaved badly Oh, my fucking God! Can you believe it? But this is the world we live in, and I'll have another example of people like that um in a little bit, but uh but I want to commend the South Bend Cubs because I think what they did was phenomenal. They stood up for each other, and uh you know, I think it's a great job. I have a new favorite South Bend cub. His name is Jake Washer. he's the catcher, and uh he was the first guy on the scene. And, uh, that guy is my favorite South Bend cub and I hope to meet him someday. So, uh, so that's that. The other thing that I want to do non-hockey related is, uh, Tim Tebow has been in the news a lot recently and that's because he is attempting a comeback with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's funny for a guy who doesn't do anything wrong, like, He keeps his nose clean. I mean, maybe people don't like the whole religious thing. He's not shy about talking about his religion, but the guy doesn't do anything. Like he's not out hitting women. He's not out boozing, doing drugs, getting arrested. He's not, the guy doesn't do anything yet. The scorn that this guy receives is mind blowing. Now I was never a Tim Tebow fan. Like it was pretty obvious. He's made for college football. He wasn't a, tremendous pro quarterback that was obvious um but the hate to me is just unbelievable where society puts these guys some of these i'm gonna call them criminals they've been arrested they're criminals these athletes who have been arrested or have done some pretty heinous things beating women incidents with guns just you know child abuse they put them on fucking pedestals why And then you have a guy like Tim Tebow who just doesn't do anything like untoward anybody and the guy gets shit left and right. So this isn't me defending a guy that I'm a fan of. I I guess I am a fan of him because I respect that this guy was, was uh, graced with this ability, and he doesn't want to ever quit. And he's going to try to get every ounce of life out of his God-given natural talent. So, I guess I am a fan of that because how could you not root for a guy like that? But all you people out there that dog this guy, I don't fucking get it. I don't get it. It's it just, you know, you'll you'll dog Tim Tebow while you're wearing an Adrian Peterson jersey or a Baker Mayfield jersey or a Plaxico Burris or a fucking a Roldish Chapman. I mean, there's any number of guys that you can uh, – Johnny Manziel. There's any number of guys that you can give examples of that are more respected or have more street cred than Tim Tebow and honestly, I don't fucking get it. So um, so that's it for the non-hockey stuff. As far as hockey stuff goes, uh, there's a certain writer from the hockey news that has been there a long time that is stepping away from his uh, regular hockey news duties and uh, I guess he's going to do things here and there and uh, he put out a statement. Um, I'm not a fan of this gentleman. I won't even give his name. Uh, You can pretty much narrow it down to one or two people. Uh, I find him to be a pain in the ass uh, and not because he's, he's doing something good. He's just someone that forces his opinion on people and people who can't think for themselves kind of follow him and think what he's doing is noble and everything where he's really just a guy who's been complaining about physical hockey for years. And it's the same bullshit over and over again. Every column is the same thing. And it's just like beating a dead horse. And he's just a guy that I'm happy to see go. The unfortunate thing is there'll be 10 people ready to step in and take his place and they'll be younger and there'll be people that were raised on this soft baby shit hockey and they'll be even worse than him with him. It was just the monotony, the years and years and years of the same bullshit over and over again. Where now some of the woke bunch will step in and people that love the uh, hockey night in Canada uh, in between periods panel think that's all woke and great And it'll just be, you know, more drivel. But uh, I'd like to say to that gentleman who is stepping away from his full-time duties at the Hockey News, good riddance, don't let the door hit you in the ass, and you will not be missed by anyone who actually enjoys the game the way it's supposed to be played. Um, I want to say that in good news this week, well, I guess him stepping away is good news, it was great to see on Thursday John Tavares was skating by himself, uh after the injury that he sustained that was a pretty scary thing and i know a lot of islander fans don't really care for john anymore and i completely understand that um i always say for myself john was very good to me he was always very good to me i don't like the way things ended but um like i said there's only a few people in the world i would wish that injury on and uh john's not one of them and uh, it was just great to see him back out on the ice uh even if He's not going to, hopefully the leaf season ends tonight. So hopefully he won't play again this year, but just seeing him on the ice was, was pretty amazing. And, uh, I do, like I said, you may not like that. I say this, but, uh, I do wish John all the best. Uh, you know, it's hard for me. It was hard for me to watch and, um, I'm glad that he's, uh, he's back and on skates. um, I want to congratulate the Winnipeg Jets and uh, our New York Islanders for winning their uh, first-round series. Uh, Islanders have played a game already in round two, and unfortunately it did not go their way uh, against Boston. But I want to talk about analytics for a second because I saw some really stupid shit posted by people regarding the Islanders series. And one of the things was by a person on Twitter Called Pens Insider. Now, I, I talked about it last episode. The Pens fan base is one of the more delusional fan bases, and um, they really never disappoint if you're looking for stupidity. So this person at the end of the series, and I'm going to say this slow, because I want to make sure I convey the message here. I quote: Take eight goals away from the Isles in that series, and the Penguins win it in five. And what's extra frustrating? capital X-T-R-A, savage, about it is New York was anything but an offensive juggernaut coming into, I-N, the number two, the playoffs. That group struggles to, the number two, score goals. Jerry almost made them look like the 80s Oilers. So now I think this is actually an analytics stat, okay? Because then I saw a graphic. That said, um, Tristan Jarry, who was phenomenal during the season. I don't know what happened in the playoffs. Tristan Jarry was negative eight goals saved above expected. And that apparently, in analytics world, is the worst single playoff performance by a goaltender since 2014, when I guess Ilya Brizgalov was even worse analytically. So what this stat means from what I can gather is, it's a stat based on what if. It's the saves the goalie is expected to make. So why wouldn't this be a real stat? What, what do stats like goals, assists, points, penalty minutes, plus minus, who needs actual stats of things that actually happen? When you can make up bullshit stats about what might happen, what should happen, what may happen next Tuesday at Tim Hortons, why not have imaginary stats now? so this guy jerry was minus eight goals saved above expected that doesn't even make any sense in the real world but in analytics world it makes complete sense and this pens insider take eight goals away from the aisles in the series well of course and if you take all the goals away from pittsburgh in the series the islanders sweep them in four and they have four shutouts it's like saying well Fuck! What what stupid thing? Oh, why don't we just narrow it down to this? If my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. What kind of fucking bullshit is analytics? When part of analytics is what if, or if they did this, or if they didn't do this? Nice group of stats. It's just mind blowing to me. The analytics people are out of control. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Now speaking of stupid, Ron McLean. You all know Ron McLean. Hockey Night in Canada, the guy, the snake, who uh, didn't go to bat for Don Cherry after Don Cherry went to bat for him at least three times, didn't go to bat for him. Well, Ron McLean woke. Ron McClain found himself in some hot water this week. Yes, he did. Because Ron McClain made a comment to uh, Kevin Biexa. I guess Kevin Biexa had a photo with him and Chris Stewart, I think. And Chris Stewart had his shirt off. And Ron McLean said something about having a picture with tarps off. You'll test positive for something. That comment is innocuous. But, oh my God, the people that their whole life is based around canceling people and getting people in trouble and getting people fired. Well, the firestorm hit. The firestorm hit Ron McClain bad. Excuse me, one second. Th- sorry about that. And the woke mob came. For Ron McClain's head. Oh, Ron McLean should be fired. And Ron McLean should be this. And Ron McLean should be that. Here's the problem with these fucking woke mob people that do this. I don't ever want to defend Ron McLean ever in my life. But they make me do that. Okay. Because I'm not going to sit here and say Ron McLean should be fired for something when I bitched and moaned about Don Cherry getting fired for something he shouldn't have been fired for. I am 100% pro free speech. Okay. Free speech, whatever. Yes. And there are consequences. Don Cherry didn't get fired by the network because they thought it was wrong. They got fired by the network because the woke mob came for his head and they were probably looking for a reason to fire Don Cherry and they did. But now the woke mob comes for Ron McLean's head. And of course, Ron McLean issues this apology. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt anyone's feelings. Blah, 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 blah. Complete and utter bullshit. Although maybe it isn't because he's unwatchable now. I mean, thank God. Thank God. Don Cherry has his podcast. See, all you nutjobs who wanted Don Cherry fired, well, the joke's on you. Because now for people like myself who love Don Cherry, we get him every week for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, where we were only getting him for seven minutes. But now because you guys bitched and moaned and stomped your feet, now I get him even more than the usual five to seven minutes that I got him in between periods. So the joke's on you. But you came for Ron McClain, and I hate the fact that I have to defend this guy. You know, everybody knows he didn't mean anything by it. Everybody knows. Even the fucking lemmings who gather and try to get this guy fired. You know he didn't mean shit by it. But there are people who live their life. The watchdogs, that the woke mob, the cancel culture. Oh, we got to get this guy fired. We got to get that guy fired. Please give me a fucking break. Ron McClain does not deserve to be fired because of what he said. Just like Don Cherry did not deserve to be fired for what he said. Grow the fuck up. Maybe you guys need hobbies or something. And I mean actual hobbies to better yourself as opposed to just watching and listening to everything and then running to Twitter and fucking having temper tantrums. Grow the fuck up. I don't like Ron McClain. I'll never like Ron McClain again, but he doesn't deserve to be fired. Give me a fucking break. Finally, finally and this I wouldn't have uh this wouldn't have been a part of my uh, opening monologue if uh, I had recorded earlier than today. But last night Vegas played Colorado and uh it was a pretty pretty much a one-sided game in Colorado's favor. They're they're a pretty stacked team. So uh they're going to be a handful for anybody. But in the game, Ryan Graves Hit Matthias Janmark. It could be Janmark. I don't know, but let's assume it's it's Janmark, and was given two minutes for interference. I mean, it was it was uh, it was a pretty hard hit. Janmark was down. I honestly don't know if he ever came back. Later in the game, Ryan Reeves went after Greaves, and Ryan Reeves, of course, was trending again. I wasn't watching the game, so when I went and watched the video, I'm like, he's trending for this. This is why Ryan Reeves is trending. And then, of course, you get the tweets. Ryan Reeves should have been thrown out, or maybe he was thrown out of the game. Ryan Reeves should be thrown out of the league. Ryan Reeves should be suspended. There's no place in hockey for behavior like this. Get this guy out of the league. He's a thug. He doesn't play. He doesn't do anything but fight. He has no respect. It's fucking embarrassing. Ryan Reeves was trending for basically wrestling a guy down and and basically letting him know what he did was unacceptable. You can't hit a guy and, then, and the guy's down. See, I think what the issue is with some people is they say, well, it's a clean hit. Why does he have to do it? Well, if you want to get technical, Graves got two minutes for interference, so it wasn't a clean hit. Okay, because the puck had left. Now, again, I'm one of those people that say hockey is so fast. The puck was there a second before that. So I don't necessarily have a problem with him not getting a penalty. But I think part of the issue is the people that complain a lot were never part of a team in any way. And I don't even mean a sports team or or a physical team or anything like that part of a group, and they'll never understand what it's like to be brothers with somebody who they're not related to, to be on a team, to be in an organization where the guy next to you, although you have different parents and came from different walks of life, that's your brother. You people will never understand what that's like, so you cannot understand why Ryan Reeves did what he did. He was defending his brother, okay? That's what it's all about. Matthias Janmark and Ryan Reeves come from two completely different places. But in that arena, on that bench, in that organization, they are brothers. And Ryan Reeves saw Matthias Janmark on the ice after a hit, and he took a number. And then when it presented itself later in the game, he did his job but you want him suspended because you can't relate to that because you can't relate to defending one of your friends or having someone come in and defend you because you have never built a relationship that way. You can't understand it. And that's really fucking sad. You'd rather have Ryan Reeves go up to uh, Ryan Graves and go, Hey, bruh, what's up with that? Don't do that again. Uh, Bro, I'm gonna outlift you in the summer when we work out together. Oh, that was, that was savage. Don't do that. No. Ryan Reeves took action, and all you people out there that think that words matter uh, as much as action are crazy. You forget that I'd rather have someone come up to me and tell me to go fuck myself than punch me in the face, and I think we could probably all agree with that, because unless you're soft. If someone tells you to go fuck yourself, I mean, do words really hurt? In that instance, I know words can hurt in other instances, but I'm talking before I get canceled, I'm talking specifically about an instance where someone comes up to you and says, go fuck yourself. Does that really hurt your feelings? Does it? It shouldn't. And I'd rather have someone come up to me and say, go fuck yourself, than punch me in the face. Because you know why? Someone going up to me and telling me to go fuck myself is not going to teach me anything. Someone coming up to me and punching me in the face, you're damn sure I'm probably going to learn a lesson. And as Clyde Shelton once said, In my experience, Nick, lessons not learned in blood are soon forgotten. I can't say it any better than that. I can't say it any clearer than that. So I'm just going to leave... That quote from the great Clyde Shelton, there to stand alone. So now, let's move on to why you're here. And that is to discuss Steve Webb's rookie season of 1996-97. So, let's talk a little bit about Steve first. So, Steve Webb played junior hockey in the OHL, started in uh, 92-93 with the Windsor Spitfires, Uh, Split 93-94, I mean, mostly 93-94 was with Windsor, played a couple of games with Peterborough, and then 94-95 was a a full year with Peterborough. Now, Steve Webb was drafted by the Buffalo Sabres in the seventh round, 176th overall in 1994. Uh, I'm assuming he went to camp with the Sabres. Uh, Let's see, so if that was 94, I'm assuming he went to camp with the Sabres for... At least two seasons, and just so everybody knows, uh, a mutual friend of Steve and myself approached Steve about appearing on the show. He politely declined uh Steve works for the NHLPA, so I think he just wants to be careful and uh you know again, nowadays, like I touched on earlier, where even if you don't mean to say the wrong thing, people can misconstrue it. I understand completely um. So hopefully, uh, depending on where Steve's future takes him, I'll be able to get him on the show, and uh, I would love to have him as a guest, and we could discuss his uh, training camps with Buffalo. But Buffalo doesn't sign Steve Webb, and he ends up in the Colonial League with the Muskegon Fury in 1995-96. So Steve plays 58 games in Muskegon, 263 penalty minutes, Folks, 42 points. And again, I know I'm beating a dead horse with this stuff, and, you know, maybe you think I am, but Steve is just like every other player. You give him an opportunity to play, he's going to do more than fight. So his fight card from the Colonial League is a little incomplete because I only have six fights listed from the Colonial League. And I would bet, maybe I wouldn't bet my life, but I would bet. I don't know, chicken nuggets, that uh, he had more than six fights after accumulating 263 penalty minutes. But the Colonial League, most guys that play in the Colonial League do not make it to the NHL. Steve was fortunate enough to get a few recalls that season to the IHL with the Detroit Vipers, and that's where I first saw Steve. Um, I mean, I saw him on in, in fight tapes from Peterborough, let's say, but a lot of times they don't have sound. You don't really know who it is if they don't have lists, but he got a chance to play with the Vipers in the IHL and those, and the Vipers, most of their games are on television. And in 95, 96, uh, he was called up at least twice because, uh, one game against Cleveland, he fought Rick Hayward, former Islander, uh, Bill Armstrong, the defenseman, the current GM of Phoenix. Uh, and then another recall, he fought, uh, Andy Bezo, uh, first overall draft pick of the Long Island Jaws. He was with Fort Wayne and Barry Dreger of Orlando. Barry played a few games with Capital district. So what, what Steve did was during his call-ups made the most of his opportunities. He, Rick Hayward established heavyweight in Cleveland, Bill Armstrong established heavyweight in Cleveland. Both guys played in the AHL. Um, Andy Bezo established lunatic in the IHL. Absolute nut job. Uh, plays a similar style to Kevin Kaminsky, fights anyone, hits anyone, and Barry Drager, one of the tougher guys in the IHL as well. So what what Webby did was he went up to the IHL and made the most of his opportunities. And obviously made an impression with somebody because now we get to after the 95-96 season, we open up training camp in 96 with the Islanders, and Steve is basically a walk-on. He is... Essentially, he got a training camp invite. He's basically a walk on and uh, it's been reported. I wasn't there this day. I know I went to that training camp once or twice, uh, but it's been reported that the first day of of camp in the scrimmages, he got into four fights on the first day. Now, I don't know if this was on the first day, but if you listen to my interview with Ken Belanger, uh he mentioned that he remembers Steve fighting Mick Vacoda and uh Mick did a number on him. Uh and but that Steve he kept coming back. I mean at that point in their careers, um, you know, Mick's the established heavyweight and you know, stuff like that happens. Steve Webb's a guy with four IHL fights under his belt and a bunch in the Colonial League. But in terms of the level that they're at, they're they're not at the same level. And Mick did what he had to do. But, again, I go back to a conversation I had back in the 90s when I was going to a lot of American League games. And um, John Weisbrod, who was the GM of Albany at the time, we would talk a lot about it because even though he didn't fight, he enjoyed the enforcers. And I remember – and I don't, I don't want to say the guy's name because I don't want to – I don't want to not shame him but you know I don't know what the what the situation was surrounding it but um John had called up a player who uh who had a reputation of being a tough guy in the Western League and had played some American League games at the time but I guess he was down in the East Coast League uh called him up and uh, I was actually hoping he'd still be there when when we got there but when we got there he was gone and I said uh, I said oh what happened with so and so and he goes I called him up for three games well, I called him up. He played three games, not even close to having a fight. I don't know what he thought I wanted here, but we could have used his physical presence in those games. Didn't do anything. I had to send them back. So, you know, for, for people of my age or a little bit younger, you understand that when these guys get an opportunity, they really have to seize that opportunity. And I'm not sure there's a better example of someone seizing their opportunity than Steve Webb. Um Again, let's not forget the year before this guy's riding the buses in the colonial league now he's in islanders training camp fighting the resident heavyweight fighting everybody trying to make an impression now things align pretty good for for steve ter- at this point with the islanders because uh it's no secret that uh mike milbury did not like Mick Vakoda, and in turn Mick Vakoda did not like mike milbury mike was very weird with a lot of things um but i'm sure mike while he wants to get the logo gone and have the Fisherman logo, and while he wants to shun the alumni, that the beloved alumni, he wants to kind of make an impression on his team. So this was the season that uh, he, Mick was first sent to Utah, and this was the season where we first saw Steve Webb. Uh, Ken Belanger played, played a lot of games this year. But there were guys that, you know, Paul Cruz was here, you know, played. I think he played the whole season with the Islanders. Uh, Brent Hughes was here. Uh, But there were times where once Mick was sent down, there were times that Steve Webb was up and Ken Belanger wasn't up. And Steve really, it was talk about the right place at the right time with the right balls to make an impression. Uh, He took his opportunity and ran with it. So he made enough of an impression with Mike Milbury that he was officially signed to a contract on October 14th, 1996. Sent to Kentucky. So with Kentucky that year, let's talk about what he did. So I'm going to rattle off some names. Between October 5th and December 31st, no, let's go past that, and January 5th, he fought Craig Martin, Jeremy Stevenson, Scott Ferguson, Justin Hawking, Frank Biolois, Sylvan Bluen, Terrence Sandwith, Jeff Staples, Mike Hartman, Sean Brown, Sylvain Bluen again, Byron Brisky twice, and Mike Hartman again. So that's October, November, December, and the beginning of January. That's 14 fights. Again, Kentucky at the time had a tough team. You had Islander guys down there. You had Sharks guys down there. And this is a guy doing everything he can to make an impression. I mean, there's some legit killers on that list. Craig Martin, Frank Biolois, Sylvain Bluen, Mike Hartman, the veteran of many, many NHL fights, uh, Jeremy Stevenson, former Duck, Justin Hawking. There's some big boys on that list. Webb fought them all. This, around this time, I think that's when uh, Mick got sent to Utah. Steve Webb finds his way up. Let me get back to my notes. So in th- Webb's stats for Kentucky that year, 25 games, 12 points, 6-6, goals and assists, 103 penalty minutes. Now he gets called up to the Islanders. His first NHL game was January 7, 1997. But before we get there, he had 14 fights with Kentucky prior to being recalled. And then after the Islanders season was over, he went back to Kentucky, had one more fight in the playoffs. Steve Webb in 1996-97 had 35 total fights. 15 with Kentucky, 20 with the Islanders, and it would have been 21, and we'll get into that later on. He almost fought the King, but it was interrupted. So he would have had 36 total fights that year. For the Islanders, he finished third in penalty minutes despite only playing 41 games, I believe. He had 144 penalty minutes. Rich Pilon led the team with 179 penalty minutes, Brian McCabe was second with 165, Steve Webb placed third that year with 144. What he did lead was the team in fighting majors with his 20 majors, led the team 20 majors second, and it was a a wide lead. Second on the team in fights was Kenny Belanger with 12. So you might be thinking, well, you've had guys – you've talked about certain guys' seasons that were upper echelon guys. Eric Cairns, Ken Baumgartner, Brett Gallant, um, God, well, Ross Johnston, Maddie Martin. I forget. It, Brett Lindros at the time. I mean, he's an intriguing guy. What's the deal with Steve Webb? Well, st- <laughs> I, I don't I, – you may not get it unless you're an Islanders fan. It's it's probably hard to understand how much this guy means to Islanders fans. I mean, he is a guy who probably has never had to buy a beer after his first season with the Islanders because he's so beloved. And he didn't win many fights this first year. Maybe some might say he didn't win any. And that's okay. Because if you're, if you're one of these, I'll call them newbies, where you think wins and losses are all that matters, well, then maybe you feel that way, but the guys he fought this year, <laughs> he fought, you think the guys he fought in the American league were tough. We're going to talk about the guys he fought in the NHL. One of the reasons why I really want to interview Steve Webb is, well, let's say two reasons. The first reason is what I already said. It's a guy who was given an opportunity and just took the ball and ran with it. I mean, ran with it. Never looked back. He was given an opportunity that many guys have been given. And he, I mean, honestly, I keep saying it. he took the ball and ran with it. And I'd love to pick his brain about that. I actually think that Steve's story is pretty inspirational. Now he didn't, it's not like he overcame this or he overcame that. But if you're familiar with the different levels of hockey, I I would love to know what was going through Steve's mind while he, you know, coming from the OHL, now you're in the Colonial League. You're pro, you're playing pro and you're getting paid, but the Colonial League must seem like a million miles away from the NHL. And I'd love to know um, his his mindset going down there, and I'd love to know what his mindset was getting those recalls to Detroit. And I guess they're not recalls. I guess he's signing them to, you know, uh, PTOs or whatever it is at that point. He wasn't property of the Vipers. He was just getting called up. Uh, and then eventually – getting called up to the islanders you know going to camp with the islanders i i just think the world right now is is there's so much negativity in the world and i think for a guy like steve webb his story and his his journey to the nhl and not only getting to the nhl but staying in the nhl and having to work his balls off every day to stay there i just think That's a pretty amazing story that I think a lot of people would get inspiration from. And if you don't get inspiration from Steve Webb, I don't know if you have a pulse. I really don't. I mean, we're not talking about Mario Lemieux here. You know, Mario Lemieux was given this God given talent and you know how I feel. If a guy makes it to the NHL, he's one of the best players in the world. Even if he plays one game, guys that play in the minors are some of the best players in the world. It's so difficult to play professional sports. And what Steve did going from the Colonial League to the island, I mean, to me, that is just it's such an inspirational story. I do hope, Steve, if you're listening, I hope that you'll consider coming on uh, because I just think I I just like I said, the world now is so much negativity. Steve Webb is such a positive story. I'd love to get him on the show. I mean, the dude was a folk hero. Before that playoff series with Toronto, after the playoff series, I think it just propelled them to Long Island legend. But let's get down to the breakdown of Steve Webb's fights from 1996-97. So we discussed his Colonial League fights and his IHL fights from the year before. and Then we discussed his AHL fights prior to his call-up. Now Steve Webb is called up. January 7th, 1997, Nassau Coliseum, Steve Webb's first NHL game against Pittsburgh, the debut of number 62 for the Islanders, the wrecking ball, Uh, first fight, Alex Hicks, Pittsburgh, one of the few guys around the same size as Webby that he fought that year. Uh, The two have words, they decide to drop the gloves. It's mostly wrestling in the beginning and then they each throw some wild punches. No damage done by either player and uh then the fight's eventually over. Each player received 5 for fighting and 2 for high sticking. But here's another here's another thing I'd like to ask Steve Webb. Like he knows why he's there. He knows why he's an islander. It's to bring a physical presence and part of that is fighting. And uh like I I always ask the guys was getting that first one out of the way how important was that? And I'd like to ask him about that too. A few nights later, the rematch against Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, Webb finds two new dance partners, uh, Joe Dedzik and Neil Wilkinson. In the Dedzik fight, the two drop the gloves off the draw, and Dedzik wrestles Webb to the ice. Not much of anything. Uh, Both receive five for fighting, and Dedzik receives an instigator and a misconduct. Which, I I mean, watching the video, I didn't see where that came in. Something may have happened off camera. uh, But, Hey, I'll take the power plays as an Islander fan. But uh, again, not much of anything. And then the second fight was against Neil Wilkinson. Uh, As far as the three Penguin guys that Webb fought those first two games, Wilkinson definitely has the biggest pedigree, uh, the most experience doing it. And um, so he fights Wilkinson. The fight starts behind the play. They wrestle and fall to the ice. They get up. Wilkinson throws a few lefts. They don't appear to do much damage, and they go down. So... Two games against Pittsburgh, three fights for Webb, and now this is where the fight card gets a little bananas. All right, Steve Webb is listed at five ten, two hundred five. Now I remember when uh, when Steve Webb came to camp with the Islanders. I remember when I worked for Bruce Bennett, seeing his headshot. He had the he had the traps go and kind of like the football headshot. Um, you know, obviously you could tell he was put together, but. He's 5'10", and now he's playing in the NHL against some really, really big boys. So let's get on to January 13th. The scene, Madison Square Garden, the opponent, big Eric Cairns. Now, yes, everybody knows that Eric Cairns turned into a Terminator when he was an Islander. And he took some lumps with the Rangers, but he also gave some lumps with the Rangers. So in this game, when I was watching the video, according to John Davidson, Webb was absolutely running around like he owned the place. So it was up to someone on the Rangers to kind of settle him down. And that's where Cairns stepped in. He decided to do something about it. Cairns grabs him, throws a big first punch, splits Webb wide open. Uh the picture I used for the graphic for this episode that's from the Karen's fight. Really, only one good punch landed in this fight. That was the first one uh Webb got hit with the cinder block, split him open and and just you know so everybody knows I'm a big fan of Steve Webb. I wasn't using that picture uh as to degrade him in any way. Uh, it was just a cool picture to use with the blood and everything like that so um and Karen's hurt a lot of guys over his career. Let's be honest uh, but the remainder of the fight. It was a bunch of wild punches being thrown while they're spinning around. So what Webb did in a lot of his fights was, uh, like Ty Domi, did the spin cycle a lot, and and I think that was smart of him because most of the guys he fought were a lot bigger than him. So keep these guys off balance, try to land some of your own, and uh, try to avoid some as well. So that's really what happened in the Cairns fight. Kept Cairns off balance, couldn't get his feet planted or it could have been a lot worse for Webb. And you'll see this mimicked over and over again as we go on in the season. It's really a smart tactic uh, that Steve employed during his career. So um, definitely, uh, Webb was the worst for wear in that one with the cut. Later in the game, though, Steve Webb recorded his first NHL point. He got an assist on Travis Green's power play goal. Next scene is back the barn in Nassau County, Nassau Coliseum. January 20th, 1997, the Blues are in town. Blues always had tough teams. And this night, Steve Webb drops the gloves. Another big boy, Mike Peluso. Uh, off the faceoff, they drop the gloves. Peluso gets his left loose, throws three or four punches. Webb goes down. Webb never really had an opportunity to mount any kind of offense. No, he was no worse for wear. It wasn't like Peluso uh, connected with uh, with some serious things. Peluso's, again, Talking about land of the Giants here, Webb's 5'10". Peluso's a big boy. Karen's a big boy. So even punches that don't necessarily land on the button, they do have some force behind them, and uh, they end up going down. So Peluso, if you had to give a win to someone in that fight, it would be Peluso, but again, no Webb was no worse for wear. Two nights later, they're playing the Edmonton Oilers, and you're going, wait, I'm looking at Steve Webb's fight card. I didn't have a fight in this game. No, he did not. But Steve Webb, on January twenty-second, 1997, scored his first NHL goal against the Edmonton Oilers against Bob Asenzo. He also had an assist. He was a fight away from the Gordie Howe hat-trick. And at this point, with this game and the two points that he had, he had four points in four games, starting with that Ranger game where he fought Cairns. So he had a goal and three assists in four games. So good on you, Steve Webb. The boy can do more than just fight if he's given the opportunity. I mean, obviously, everybody knows he's he's the wrecking ball he likes to hit. But it's nice when uh, when the guys are given an opportunity to chip in and uh, and uh, get some numbers in those other columns as well. So January twenty second, 1997, Steve Webb's first NHL goal against Bob Asenza. Two nights later, there is a fight filled game at the mall in Hartford. God, I miss seeing games at the mall. I miss the Hartford Whalers. You know what the Whalers never did? Storm Surge. It's good, Lord. But I miss the Whalers. And this was a fight filled game at the mall, like I said. And this was Rick Bonus's first game as coach. Um, there was always some tension between John Spano and Mike Milbury. And, uh, I think John thought it would be best if Mike could focus all his brain power on being the GM and not doing the coaching. Uh, the joke was on John and the rest of us because, uh, it didn't matter what Mike focused on. He was terrible, but this was Rick bonus. first game as head coach, tons of fights in this game. First fight for Steve Webb was against Kelly chase. The boys dropped the gloves immediately. Chase gets his right arm out of his jersey Fight is very competitive Webb is throwing a lot of lefts And Chase is throwing a lot of rights Eventually they go down with Webb landing on top of Chase Um, It's not like he beat Chase It's not really like Chase beat him Uh, But it was a good showing for Webb Against one of the most technical fighters ever to play this game. One of the most intellectual fighters to ever play this game. So um, here's a guy, like I said, I keep saying it. a year ago, he's in the colonial league. Now he's fighting Kelly chase after he already fought Mike Peluso after he already fought Eric Cairns. So big time showing for Steve Webb here. Uh, and then that game later on chase had a round two against Doug Huda. Steve Webb also had a round two in this game. And, uh, As I said, Kelly Chase, one of the more technical guys, one of the smartest fighters to ever play the game. So Webb wanted to try one of the most devastating fighters to ever play this game. And the second fight is against Stu Grimson. So Webb and Grimson are talking uh, at the face-off and the puck drops, play goes down, and Grimson crushes Brian Smolinski behind the net. Webb steps in. And you know what? Go back and watch the video. Webb held his own in this fight. The Grimson... Hartford version of Stu Grimson was an absolute animal. I mean, lethal. Stu Grimson in Hartford was absolutely just ask the Rangers. They'll tell you and ask their fans. And you know what? For a rookie fighting Steve, uh, Steve fighting Stu Grimson. I think Webb did okay in this fight. He didn't win, but again, what he did, he did similar thing to what he did in the Cairns fights where he does the spinning and he tries to keep Grimson off balance because, Let's be honest, Steve Webb toe-to-toe with Stu Grimson 99.5 out of 100 times is not going to end well for Steve Webb, just like Steve Webb going toe-to-toe with Eric Cairns. It's not going to end well for him. So for him to employ the tactic of spinning and trying to keep the big guys off balance, smart move. So again, not saying Webb won the fight. He didn't win the fight, but he hung in there with Stu Grimson, who, like I said, was an absolute terror his whole career. But Hartford Stu Grimson was a fucking psycho. So um good on Steve. He had, you know, as far as this game goes, you know, he has nothing to he can hold his head up high going up against Chase and Grimson in this game. Uh they each got five for fighting. Uh Grimson received extra two for high sticking, and uh Webby got an interference and uh misconduct. But again, you know, good on you, Webby. We move on to February. Back at the Coliseum. And Webb fights an Islander legend in this game, and it did not go well. Uh, Kenny Baumgartner, who was with the Ducks at the time. So, play's going up ice to the Islander end, but behind the play, Webb and Baumgartner are discussing it. Jason Marshall scores a goal for Anaheim. Boys drop the gloves. Bomber lands a huge shot that puts Webb down. And as Webb's trying to get up, Bomber throws another one, and the fight's over. Officials jump in, and that's it. And, you know, as I said... After those first two fights, even three fights, the level of competition really uh, went up about 10 notches for Webb. And uh, everybody, if you know me or you just know me from the show, you know how much I love Kenny Baumgartner. So, uh, you know, that's a tough fight for anybody. And um, similar to Kelly Chase, Bomber's one of the smartest fighters there ever were. And, uh, you know, I think Bomber's strategy was to do the most amount of damage in the least amount of time. That's exactly what he did here. Next night, getting right back on that horse, the scene shifts to the Meadowlands against New Jersey. Another two-fight game for Steve Webb. Two more tough guys, Reed Simpson and Lyle Odeline. So in the Simpson fight, again, we're doing the spin cycle against Reed Simpson. And what happens is in this, while he's doing this, it's a lot of wild punches thrown by both guys. And none of them ever really seem like they do a lot of damage but again it's a smart tactic for Steve to do Reed Simpson tough guy so they're both throwing wild punches Webb may have landed two shots during the fight the angle wasn't great, so they could have also bounced off the CCM logo on the front of Reed Simpson's helmet. I can't really tell, so I don't want to say he landed them for sure. Uh, Simpson throws two at the end, and Webb goes down. Reed Simpson goes on top of him. So again, Webb isn't necessarily Webb isn't winning the fight for whatever that's worth. Again, winning and losing in a hockey fight is incidental. It's 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 showing up. It's getting the boys on the bench going but he's not getting knocked out in these fights. I mean, there were a couple of fights this year where he definitely was on the, the losing end um, and it wasn't even close, but this, this guy's holding his own in a lot of these fights. So Reed Simpson, again, taking on another established veteran, not a bad showing did his job. Good on you, Steve Webb. And then later in the game, uh, Webb and line. there's a scrum Webb and line separate themselves and drop the gloves. Uh, Lyle wrestled Steve Webb to the ice, but they both get up and they're both throwing hard, hard punches. Uh, Odeline landed the better punches. Webb stood right in there though. Eventually they're separated by the officials. So again, you know, fighting, I mean, this, I wonder how many years between Reed Simpson and Lyle Odeline, they have pro and he's fighting both of these, uh, both of these veterans. So again, good showing for Steve. He's not taking a backseat to anybody and he's not fighting. You know, soft guys. He's fighting legit killers. February eleventh, nineteen ninety-seven, we're back at the Coliseum. Phil Crow, one of the more underrated fighters that I have ever seen. It's just a face punching contest, or they're gonna try to make it a face punching contest. Both guys are just standing and throwing. Webb's throwing the right, Crow's throwing the left, and eventually Crow lands the left and puts Webb down. So uh there's that. Ten days later. We're up in Buffalo, and you know the Buffalo fans, they love their scraps, they love their tough teams, and they love Rob Ray. So this is another game, a fight-filled game, the people got their money's worth. The price of admission was paid, and they got every penny's worth. So this is another game that if Hockey Twitter was around then, Based on the shit that happened, like I said earlier, with Ryan Reeves, oh my god, the hockey Twitter would be beside themselves with all the fights that happened in this game. But in this particular fight, uh, Webb and Ray find each other, they lock up, and they start exchanging rights. Webb is doing pretty well in this. He may have landed the first shot, but then towards the end of the fight, Ray comes back, lands three huge right hammers, and puts Webb down to end the fight. Now, this is post- Rob Ray losing the jersey where he had to keep his jersey on and the more dangerous Rob Ray in my opinion, for all the bullshit with the jersey, I think this guy was an absolute animal once he had to keep the jersey on, I think he was way more dangerous, if you if you do a side-by-side comparison of his fights with the jersey and without the jersey I think most of his better fights happened when he had to keep the jersey on so, this was another example of that he did a number on Webb, but can't keep a good man down because two days later, back at the Coliseum, Chris Tamer, another Penguin. where the Penguins must have loved Steve Webb that year. Well, this one happened for a specific reason. Um, the two drop the gloves. They have a long square off. And once they engage, Chris Tamer throws three rights. No damage done. And the rest of the fight is pretty much the two of them trying to get their arms loose without any success. They both get five minutes for fighting. Steve Webb also receives two minutes for charging. Because he hit Mario Lemieux, and that's really how the fight started. So um, Chris Tamer doing his job, defending his, his teammate, defending the star of the league, doing his job, going after a guy that hit him. And again, if this happens in 2021, the woke crowd would want Chris Tamer suspended and thrown out of hockey, probably thrown in jail, because why does he have to be so mean? All Steve Webb did was hit his teammate. Why, Chris? Why do you have to be such a big meanie and doing your job? But, again, if you're a Penguin fan, Chris Tamer did his job. If you're a fight fan, Chris Tamer did his job. And Steve Webb dropped the gloves and didn't try to do the fake glove drop or anything. Two tough guys doing what they do. February 28, 1997. We're in Ottawa now. Denny Lambert, Steve Webb lock up. Not too much here. Uh, Lambert tries to throw some rights. Webb tries to go left. No damage done. Five for fighting. Not much of anything there. Similarly, a few days later at the Coliseum, Tampa Bay's in town. Brent Myers drops the gloves with Steve Webb. Lots of wrestling and unsuccessful punches thrown by both guys. No damage done. Um, you know, Similar to the Lambert fight. Not much here, happening here. March 8th, 1997, the rematch with Lyle Odeline. This time we were at the Nassau Coliseum. They tried to fight each other after Steve Webb hit Devils goalie Mike Dunham, but they were unfortunately separated. But if this isn't your first rodeo, you know what's going to happen. And, of course, the next time they were on the ice, they eventually hooked up. Webb was definitely the more active fighter early, but then once they got in close, uh, listen, Odeline, veteran, tough guy, knows how to fight. They got in close, kind of, you know, tied up Webb's arm. Odeline got his right loose. Again, not no damage, no real damage done, but the fo- Odeline's a strong dude. Force of the punches, Webb goes down. They both go to the ice. Fight's over. That's it for that game. Down to the Sunshine State, March 13th, 1997. Tampa Bay David Shaw's the opponent. There's kind of a scrum on the ice. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't remember because I didn't let the video run long enough. The Islanders are called for a penalty, and I think it's Rick Tabaracci's, the the Tampa goalie, so he's coming off the ice for the extra man. Somehow Rick Tabaracci doesn't go to the bench. He actually ends up in in the, the zone, the Islanders' defensive zone. And him and Webb have words or whatever, and then David Shaw steps in. Uh, Webb is definitely the aggressor. He tries to grab Shaw twice. Shaw pulls away the first time. Second time he grabs him. Uh, they again. It, it's hard for guys to fight Webb. I don't know if they didn't real know him at the time because he was a rookie, but with the whole spin cycle thing, if you're not ready and you can't plant your feet, you know, more experienced guys maybe can do it better. Shaw's not a guy that ever shied away from anyone, but. He he fought not a ton, but he had at this point he had more experience than Webb. But um, both guys throw a lot of wild punches. They each may have landed one punch, nothing big. Webb ends up falling on top of David Shaw. Fight's over. Now, I mentioned that Webb had 20 fights this year, but should have had 21. And here is the one that would have not wouldn't have, wouldn't have been number 21 chronologically, but it would have made his fight total 21. Chicago, March 16th, 1997. Webb drops the gloves with the legend, Bob Probert. Forgot about this one. I forgot about this one. So when I saw it, I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't know he fought Probert, but here is the problem. I've Obviously, I watched it at the time. It's on my DVD. So the play goes down. Probert hits Webb in the corner. And then he actually follows it up with a shove and an elbow once like Probert's actually going after Webb. So I wonder what Webb did. Uh, Normally it's the young guy going after the, the champ, the veteran, the great one. They drop the gloves and lock up, but fucking Todd Bertuzzi comes in, jumps in, slows down the fight long enough where the linesman could jump in. But now when they do, Webb and Probert are still trying to get their arms loose. Probert actually gets his right loose and unloads a humongous right hand, throws another one for good measure But then they're broken up. So had Burt not jumped in, it would have been 21 fights for Steve Webb that year. Webb would have had the opportunity to fight the legend. I'm sure someone he grew up idolizing like all these guys do, especially Ontario guys. But because Bertuzzi jumped in, they really didn't get a chance to go, although Probert did land a big big right hand. Uh, They each got four minutes. Webb got four minutes for roughing. Probert got two for roughing and two for elbowing. So... Unfortunately, they didn't get going that night, but if Bertuzzi didn't fuck it up, then uh, Webb would have fought Probert that evening in Chicago. Back to the Sunshine State. You're in Chicago on March 16th, I would imagine the weather sucked. No, we're not going to the Sunshine State. We are going back to Long Island, where the weather probably sucked too on March 19th. Paul Laws you get you get what I'm trying to say here, folks, with the guys that I'm telling you he fought, why I love this season of Steve Webb for making the most of his opportunity. We just talked about him almost fighting Bob Probert. We talked about him fighting Stu Grimson. We talked about him fighting Eric Cairns, Mike Peluso, Paul Laws, Chris Tamer. You understand why I love this season from this guy? I don't care what the wins and losses were. He fight, or tries to fight Bob Probert. Three nights later, he's back at home. Fighting Paul Laws two lock up behind the net. They both throw some wild punches. Again, nothing of consequence really lands. But he's going, and I think this might have been the year Laws had like 43 fights. But he's going against absolute killers. Case in point, three nights later. or What did they say on SpongeBob? Three nights later. See, I have kids. It's not like I watch SpongeBob. But they don't watch it anymore either. But I remember. Three nights later, Nassau Coliseum, Islanders, and Flyers. This was the year of the Dan line, Cordic, Daniels, and Danny Lacroix. And Steve Webb is out there against the Dan line, and he ends up fighting the biggest dude on the Dan line, Dan Cordic. So they tie up, and um, Webb starts throwing a lot of punches in the beginning. Cordic withstands the flurry and then uses his the, his arm because he's a lot bigger than Steve Webb. Holds him out with his right. Webb can't reach. He's still throwing punches. He's punching him in the arm. He's punch ends up punching him in the chest. But Cordic is keeping him out at arm's length. Webb doesn't give up. Keeps going. But he can't do any damage. cordic throws some punches. Eventually gets Webb's helmet off. And then ends the fight with a huge left uppercut that drops Webb. Again, I'm not going to keep saying it. Because you have know, one more fight to talk about. And then we're going to go over it again after this. The final fight of the year in Boston against Kyle McLaren. Um, Kyle's always a guy, never... Ooh, did my voice just crack? Let me get some water. Please hold. McLaren, always a physical defenseman. Didn't mind throwing him. Wasn't his primary job, but actually the announcers were talking about how he had had... uh, He was fighting more frequently that year. So I don't know what the story was. But uh, he ended up being Webb's last fight of the year uh in Boston, Kyle McLaren. Um and again, nothing really of note in this fight, mostly wrestling. McLaren throws several lefts. None do damage. That's it. Fight's over. This was Webb's 34th game. His 20th fight. Like I said, should have been 21. He ends the year playing 41 games. I, I mean I don't care what anyone says about Steve Webb. I think if you're if you're a guy who shits on him I don't think you really understand what what it was like watching this guy play during some pretty lean years here on the island and, and just watching him. I mean, you know, like I said, let's go over some of the monsters he fought. Eric Cairns, Mike Peluso, Kelly Chase, Stu Grimson, Ken Baumgartner, Reed Simpson, Lyle Odeline, Phil Crow, Rob Ray, Chris Tamer, Denny Lambert, Brant Myers, Lyle Odeline again, tried to fight Bob Probert. Paul Laws, Dan Kordick. I mean, that's an unbelievable fight card for anybody. It's even more unbelievable for a rookie who was in the Colonial League the year before and who stands five feet, 10 inches tall. How could you not love this guy? I don't understand if you call him whatever you want. You don't even have to like him, but how could you not at least respect the guy? I don't get it. If you don't like him, I know every Islander fan I know loves Steve Webb. You want to know what the coolest thing was? Not the coolest thing, but one of the cool things that I'll never forget. When the organization decided that they made a mistake with the fucking stupid-ass fisherman logo. One night, before a game, Steve Webb comes out, and if I'm not mistaken, it's a Scott LaChance fisherman jersey. He comes out. In the Scotland Chance Fisherman jersey, he rips it off like Hulk Hogan style, throws it off, and he's got the classic Islander logo, classic Islander jersey on underneath. And I think they made the announcement that you'll never see the Fisherman again. And you know what people did? They fucking cheered because it's a stupid fucking logo. But everyone cheered. And I think it was really cool that they picked Steve Webb to do it, Uh fan favorite. Uh, Like I've said over and over again. So, that is something else that I would love to ask Steve about. Uh, Hopefully, he would come on the show at some point. I keep saying that in case he's listening. Uh, But I definitely would like to know how that went down, how he was chosen for it. But uh, it was cool to see him just ripping that jersey off. And, you know, we've seen it a little bit since then and, you know, warm ups. uh, And then the whole Brooklyn debacle, all the hipsters wore it and they tried to sell that bullshit merchandise. But um, fortunately, haven't seen it in the game and uh since the night where Steve Steve Webb ripped it off never to be seen again in the game. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um just a few miscellaneous notes about Steve Webb. Steve Webb is the 2001 2 recipient of the Bob Nystrom Award. Like I said, when we talk about Matt Martin, if you play that style of game Pretty cool to win an award named after Mr. Islander Bob Nystrom, the living legend. So it's pretty cool. Uh Steve Webb ranks twentieth in penalty minutes in the history of the franchise with five hundred and thirty penalty minutes. Uh twentieth all time, and he ranks ninth all time in fighting majors on the team with fifty-two. So that's a pretty big rookie year. He ended his Islander career with fifty-two fights. Twenty of them were in that rookie year. So um I don't know what else I could say about this guy. The guy ran with this opportunity. He's an inspiration to people who are the underdogs and um you know that concludes Steve Webb's rookie year of course um the Toronto series. Uh let me see a few years later that is what Steve Webb is probably remembered for just hitting everything in sight wearing a Toronto uniform. Uh and like I said if if his rookie season made him a fan favorite, that playoff series against Toronto made him a legend here. Um, you know, and the, I mean, think about it. This is like I said, I keep saying it, so I'm I'm just fucking repetitive. But the guy played in Muskegon in the Colonial League, and now he's in one of the loudest buildings in the history of sports, and everybody is chanting Steve Webb, Steve Webb. I mean. How fucking amazing must that have been for that guy? There's no chance he didn't have goosebumps under it, you know? So that's why I need to get him on the show. We need to talk about all this stuff, you know? So um, anyway, that is my trip through Steve Webb's rookie season with the Islanders. Uh, Memorable season for so many reasons. Uh, Great job by Steve. You know, the Islanders were a mess back then. So this is a kid that just probably kept his head down, made the most of his opportunity. So let's talk about next week. I have something lined up with a player that I'm going to actually reach out to tonight and try to schedule something for this week. I also took a chance and tried to reconnect with a player who agreed to do an interview with me several months ago. Says he's into it. And I hope he follows through because I think he also has a really good story to tell. So hopefully I get one of those two guys this week and I can bring you an interview next week. Uh, I think both guys would be fascinating. So hopefully I'll get one of those two guys. Hopefully I get both of them and then I'll have one in the chamber. But anyway, all you people who tuned in today, I really appreciate you listening. And um, what else can I say? You are the reason why I do this show. So everybody, Have a great week.